0: All right, y'all. Well, I am just as excited as you are to welcome our first speakers of the day. Yeah, you may know him as the doctor who broke the internet on the Joe Rogan podcast. And (laughs) (laughs) yes, that deserves a round of applause. Or the scientist who invented the mRNA vaccine technology. And you've probably seen some of his famous speeches from rallies and conferences around the world. Um, And you know what? I was just told that he's even been starring in some rap videos lately. So... I think that's pretty exciting we have the music thing in common um Dr. Robert Malone is a scientist physician writer podcaster commentator advocate and strong believer in our fundamental freedom of speech I have my notes here (laughs) there's so much I don't want to forget anything um Okay, and then Dr. Jill Malone is a specialist in public policy and biotechnology. She is the co-founder of several biotech companies and has held positions in academia and has an extensive publication record. Um, She currently shares writing responsibilities for Dr. Malone's substack, which I'm sure you've all read, which reaches almost a million people per day. From their high school days here in California and Santa Barbara to breeding Lusitanas on the East Coast and simultaneously trying to save the world, uh, the Malones have worked together as a dynamic team for decades, which I think is just so cool. Please help give me a warm wine country welcome to Doctors Robert and Jill Malone.
1: Thank you for being here, and thank you for supporting the Unity Project. The Unity Project has really... Uh, Risen from California because of what you've all been subjected to. I was there uh, even before it existed. Uh, the founder, founding investor, Jeff Hanson, um, uh, actually called me out of the blue one day. Uh, Jill and I had taken a trip uh, to Monterey Bay uh, to visit our younger son who lives in Davis and uh, go whale watching to Jill's great regret. Um, and, uh, and I had been, just to tell the story, I had been really suffering uh, both with long COVID and with pof- post-vaccination syndrome. And just a few days before we traveled out here uh, to um, hang out with our son, Meryl Nass had visited the farm uh, to carry with, together with Mary Holland. These are two of the leaders of children's health defense. And uh, we'd had a good chat. And Mary had said, Robert, what you need to do is take some ivermectin. <laughs> and, uh, and so she prescribed it. And uh, I started taking it immediately before we went out. And up until that point, Jill can attest, it was hard for me to do farm chores. I usually can outwork a 20-year-old. Because I've been, we've. I think this is our fifth or sixth yeah. small farm.
2: And as, as you, I think you said, you were suffering first from long COVID and then vaccine injury. Yeah,
1: the post-vaccination syndrome. And uh, so I started taking ivermectin, and it stunned me. I out-hiked our twenty-something son uh, along Big Sur, and I was like, "Oh, this stuff clearly works." <laughs> <laughs> um And it was only like two days in, right, with the treatment. It yeah. was, it was yeah. amazing the response that I had. And then I relapsed, and I took more. And uh, then recently, I've completed the uh, FLCCC recovery protocol that uh, Paul Merrick and Pierre Corey have come up with. And it's, it's really helped me out. I'm not make giving you medical advice, um, but uh, I'm not licensed in the state of California, thank God. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, but, um, that's, but so, so we're, we're hanging out. Um, in this uh, little kind of uh, old, you know, California has all these old motels. So we're hanging out in this uh, Monterey Bay hotel, motel, and I get a phone call from this guy, Jeff Hansen, out of the blue. And he says, Robert, I really like what you're doing, and I want to support you, and I'm going to wire, I'm not even going to say the size of the check, into your bank account, And I was like, at that point, we were just, you know, scrapping to make ends meet. We'd been doing everything based on our own cash flow. Uh, Hadn't had any support or anything. And suddenly, out of the blue, this guy calls up and says he wants to donate to us. And uh, that was key to basically me being able to continue to be a free agent and just speak truth.
2: And travel, yeah.
1: Yeah, and and the travel. And then... then, um, there was a rally here in California and a bunch of mothers came together. <laughs> and um, yeah, the mama mama bears, I've been saying this all the way through, mama bears are, are what's gonna save America. <laughs> um, and uh, and uh, that is what gave rise to the Unity Project was a, a protest, I think here in Orange County, uh, in which a lot of these mama bears came together and they said, we're not gonna stand for this. And um, that's, that's what gave rise to the Unity Project, and it still continues. I think the Unity Project right now is in the middle of a fundraise uh, trying to get enough to get a matching grant. Uh, Laura Sextro, who's the leader now, hasn't shared with me uh, who's providing them uh, matching funds or what the terms are. But um, uh, that's, that's, I think, why we're here. And well, I, I thank you very much for your being willing to support the Unity Project and its mission, which has been very much about your children,
2: and and they've kind of morphed from the vaccines and the van- vaccine mandates to really, you know, medical freedom. And then that's just a subset. It's really about freedom. Um, that's the truth of it. And uh,
1: freedom and children and protecting
2: health. children. Um, and yeah,
1: absolutely, and protecting yeah. children. And, and now yeah. we're seeing all of these additional threats that we never expected. That are coming out of these various efforts at social engineering through influencing right, our right. children.
2: Which you know, when you when you talk about the um, Peds transgender stuff, it's not just in America. It's You know, Nick Hudson, our friend, who's a South African data analyst. He set up Panda, the group called Panda. Panda. The same stuff is happening in South Africa. The same stuff is happening in Europe. This is a globalized, synchronized effort, and it's really scary.
1: I think that's one of the most important messages we can share with you is what – last year we hit over 400,000 miles on commercial air, plus the privates, Um, traveling all over the world trying to help with the freedom movement and – bringing truth about the jabs and early treatment. And one of the things that has been the most stunning, I think, to both of us is that what we've experienced here in the States, and you certainly have been at the tip of the spear in in California in experiencing these policies. Uh, and I, Jill warned me not to trash California too much. Uh, as, as was said, we're California natives, okay? I was born in Palo Alto in the old Stanford Hospital. She was born in Van Nuys in the old UCLA hospital. Um, we grew up in Goleta. Uh, we're high school sweethearts from Dos Pueblos.
2: Went to uh, U- UC San Diego and UC Davis. Yeah. yeah,
1: so so that's our, we're we're deeply rooted in California, and we're now California expats living in Virginia, and and uh, we'll just leave it at that. I don't have any problems with water. Um, <laughs> and I like to say, um, if I don't mow it, a tree grows. Okay. Um so that's, that's it's a little different from around here.
2: But, but the truth is that California, as you all know, has an uphill battle. You know, it's not about California. It's about Californian politicians and, and what's happened to the state. Yeah.
1: And, and the point I was trying to get towards is what was stunning for us is these policies that were deployed in the United States were deployed globally in a harmonized, synchronized way. I've never seen any, I'm a veteran of multiple outbreaks. This is kind of my business. People, There's a cadre, small cadre of people that are kind of outbreak junkies. And they get the calls early on, like I did on January 4th of 2020, saying, okay, we got another problem, we gotta get going on this, blah, blah, blah. And you know, now we know the whole military biodefense complex behind that, and there's a dark side to all of that I, that I didn't really know about. But I have never experienced anything like this with the censorship, propaganda, um, the control of information, and really the fifth-generation warfare, or what Matt Taiby called today hybrid warfare, in a fascinating essay from, was it Rebel News? Uh,
2: No, it was not. It was Racket.
1: Racket. Racket News. Um, So that's on Substack. I really recommend that. And we did uh, repost it through our Own Substack, so if any of you are subscribers to ours, you know, and by the way, you could be, it's, it's free, you don't have to pay, this is not grifting. Um, but, uh, they put out a fantastic article with an intro from Matt Taibbi, that, who, of, of the Twitter Files fame. Um, that lays out all of these organizations that have been set up that form this new, uh, censorship industrial complex that people have been talking about. So that is absolutely something for you guys to check out. But the, the stunning thing is, like, you remember all of the artists, all the comedians that were all basically paid um, to put out the propaganda of the pro-vaccine. You know, well, we've got vaccine, all that. Oh, by the way, Mickey Willis's next uh, video is going to be coming out in just a couple weeks. Check that out. Um. Uh, which includes a lot of rushes from those, you know, film clips from a lot of that early propaganda. That happened across the world in a harmonized, simultaneous fashion, all of that. So, for instance, we were traveling in Vienna, um, one of the capitals of the arts, and particularly music in Europe. And uh, we were uh, brought there by people that were really part of the resistance within Vienna. So they had an underground resistance because they were all locked down. They couldn't, they were not allowed to congregate. They couldn't, there's no way they would have been arrested if they had a meeting like this, okay? Mm. And what, what had happened was that one of the kind of bohemian uh, hangouts for artists, etc., cetera, uh, in downtown, papered over all its windows with craft paper and um, started holding uh, surreptitious evening meetings.
2: And, uh, and just get-togethers. They weren't just meetings. They were, you know, they continued on with, with their business surreptitiously, which was highly illegal to just have people come and hang out and So drink we connected beer.
1: with these people when we went there to speak for a couple of events, and what we learned was that at the same time that all the artists and comedians here in the United States had been purchased, basically, to put out the propaganda, the same had happened throughout Austria. Throughout Vienna, basically all the artists and musicians were all paid right off the bat to promote the jab. I mean, I've never seen anything like this in my life, and it still boggles my mind who, you know, this, this, the big question is who's the puppet master, right? What, what is the organization that has that much capital and that much organizational capability to deploy what we have been subjected to for the last three years? and i don't know the answer i have hypotheses and we talk about it in the book but that complex whatever that is whatever those those puppet masters are whatever they're doing they're still out there and they're still doing it and that we can the good news is that we can now see it the good news is that i mean always looking for silver linings i hate doing these meetings and talks and stuff, and it's just down, 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 oh, this horrible thing, look what they've done to us, look what they're doing to us now, it's just so negative.
2: And but, but just to say it, it, you know, we all know it goes beyond COVID, you know, whether it's, you know, Hunter Biden's laptop, the origins of COVID, whether it's, you know, um, anything that you want to say against the Ukrainian war, you know, um, the slightest criticism. Nord Stream. Nord Stream, it's, it's all getting censored now. You know, and, and propaganda. Um, Everything. Yeah.
1: Everything is, you know, here in California, it's all being done algorithmically. They want to do it now with AI. We're, we're in an information battlescape. This is what it is. I mean, I talk about fifth generation warfare, and I'll be lecturing on it tomorrow. Um, as I say, Matt Tabe calls it hybrid warfare. And I've been told, by the way, by the Anti-Defamation League, I've been called a anti-government conspiracy theorist because I talk about fifth generation warfare, uh, the administrative state, and what's my third sin? Um, uh, It's administrative state, fifth generation warfare, and I forget what my third crime is. My third thought crime, but but basically, this is established technology. It's been in the literature for years. It's taught within DoD. There was a DoD operations Army operations manual that was put out in the '90s about deploying this, and we've had uh, folks within psyops units that were. Um, retired come up to us in these rallies and say yes what you're saying is absolutely true this is absolutely what's going on and I'm mad as hell about it because basically we built this suite of technologies during the Cold War to counter what was truly the most incredible psyops capability in the history of man which was deployed by the Soviet Union and we had to have something to counteract that and then instead of having as Bobby Kennedy said the other day in Boston, instead of having a, uh, a dividend from the end of the Cold War, we pivoted to the Middle East and we started foreign adventures there, right? Um, and what one of the things we did is we deployed these psyops units. and the UK, deployed the 77th Brigade, and there's psyops units in Canada, and New Zealand, and Australia. We deployed them against our foreign adversaries in the Middle East. And Every day this, these capabilities get stronger and stronger, more and more personnel, more and more government contractors, because that's the nature of the beast. That's the way things work in DC, okay? Is you can never kill a program. It just, they get, or they have like this organic thing. They just grow and grow and grow and um, get more and more funding and more and more lobbyists. And so then we had the failures in Syria, Iraq, Afghanistan, I mean, I argue that we have never won a fifth generation warfare. Fourth generation. Engagement. Yeah. Um, going back to the Viet Cong, okay? And we lost those battles functionally. And COVID came along and they deployed those capabilities as part of the whole of military response. And I'm sorry to say it for those that are our MAGA folks, but it was Mr. Trump that declared the whole of military response. And that included deploying those psyops units against the civilians.
2: Which really started, though, it started in 2016 when um, Obama softened the Anti-Propaganda Act, which said that they could not deploy propaganda on the American people. And Congress passed a law that... um, very much softened that act that was passed in 1948. And that was what really opened the door to psyops on the American people.
1: And and the logic is you've heard it, you've heard Mr. Obama speaking about this again and again. I'm not coming here to trash the man. But you heard it at Stanford, at the Hoover Institute, when he gave his lecture. In order to preserve democracy, quote unquote, right, we, and um, those of you that are constitutionalists will all point out, we don't actually have a democracy. Right. Um, so I don't want to have that argument. We,
2: we have um, a republic.
1: <laughs> OK. <laughs> but it, the, the logic that's been promoted is in order to preserve democracy, we have to have censorship. We have to control information. And and basically it is it is a total upside down. You know, we're all living in upside down clone world anyhow. Um, it's an upside-down argument that the First Amendment has got to be genocided in order to preserve democracy. That's where we live right now, and they absolutely want to continue to reinforce this. And as this article that just came out documents, we have, was it, ten? Fifty. Th-
2: he, li- he listed 50 um, NGOs, government organizations, that are actively pursuing censorship and propaganda, and he goes through with details on who's funding them, what they've done, um, where they operate—it's—it's it's quite an amazing piece in the racket. It's very long; it's almost book length. <laughs> so, so yeah.
1: that's that's you know I've come to the point, and I think we've come to the point. Yes, medical freedom is important, and um, the the rights of parents to educate their own children are important. Um, Matthias Desmond just put out a great article about the efforts in. Uh, the Netherlands, uh, the state is advocating that they should take over child rearing.
2: Mandatory schooling starting at four years old, so children have to go to mandatory preschool and kindergarten.
1: Because k- parents are not adequately trained to raise children. Okay, and I guarantee this stuff that's going down there in Europe is going to be coming on shore here on the side of the Atlantic years, yeah. very soon. Yeah. Okay, because it's all driven. It literally, this is not a conspiracy theory. It is absolutely all driven by the world economic forum. Okay. Um
2: and, and the World Economic Forum and everyone says, oh, look at Davos, look at the wealthy people partying. It's not about that. Okay, this is this is the puppet over here. The World Economic Forum is the largest, it's a trade union of the largest transnational corporations in the world. And in twenty nineteen they signed a extensive strategic agreement with the United Nations where they're now helping to fund the United Nations, which you know. That makes them kind of a partner. When you give somebody money, then you can take away money. They
1: absolutely seek to become the world government.
2: And this is, you know, we have an experiment that's happening, you know, right before our eyes in world governance that's never happened before, where we've had corporations, you know, which is basically fascism, it's corporatism taking over the world governance. It's a scary, scary thing.
1: Yeah, so let's talk about that just for a minute. Um, I talk about this in many of our writings in the book. Um, we lay out the logic, uh, um, with detail and citations to establish political science work. There's been a lot of of pollution and obfuscation around this word fascism. Fascism has been weaponized in so many ways that it's difficult now to know what that word actually means. And so what we did in the book is we went back to the original political science definitions of fascism and the work of Benito Mussolini early on, in which he said fascism should really more appropriately be called corporatism. It's the logic that the large corporations are much more capable of governing us than we are of governing ourselves. Okay, that is that is what's being advanced. So
2: corporatism is a, is a partnership of government... It, corporations. When you
1: when you hear public-private partnership, that's a euphemism for corporatism, and corporatism is fascism as defined by Benito Mussolini. Although
2: fascism o- often has an element of violence to it, I think that. Um,
1: and and we've yeah. heard all this discussion that fascism. You know, you go fascism, Nazi, anti-Semitism, etc. The neo-Nazis, all of that is garbage. It's it's. An overlay that's been created by the media to try to weaponize that. We're we're just like they've weaponized the term anti-vaxxer and so many other of our language elements. They have basically subverted them, changed the meaning, and weaponized them against us.
2: Another one you hear in Europe all the time is far right. In Europe right now, if you do not want open borders, you're far right. Right. you know, the UN in their Agenda 2030 has in there that migration is a universal right and that every country has to allow yeah. migrants this, in.
1: This ha- this must be something that you guys are sensitive to given where you live right now, it's close to the border, right? And, and the new, the change that's happened today um, with the title expiring, 42, et cetera. 42, yeah. Um, uh, the, Jill's, Jill's emphasizing that in agenda 2030 it's defined that it is a human right and we've signed off on this by the way in it's, 2016 this, this with they already passed tenants guys the the yeah. boat left the dock and
2: and agenda boat. 2030 by the way was signed by the United States by the president of the United States as an agreement but in fact if you go over to the UN and you read it it's actually a treaty and it is binding but US executive office has been doing this thing for the last the 20 slate years, of hand, sleight of hand, where we've to not bypassed we, the Senate. The Senate has to ratify any, by, any tree, treaty by two thirds of a majority, and they have not done that. Now they just say it's an agreement and they sign. So this but is. But
1: those presidential agreements are legally binding.
2: Right, right.
1: So they are functionally treaties without calling them treaties, so they don't have to get the Senate to ratify them. Right. And they, they have signed off on Agenda 2030, and as the sheriff probably knows, Agenda 2030. Uh, includes the the component that it is a basic human right to migrate to live wherever you want to live. And so in having the open border policy, what they're doing is implementing Agenda 2030 here in the United States, and by the way, all through Europe.
2: And the Budget Reconciliation Act that was passed last year, that big one, if you take that and Agenda 2030, you will find that they dovetail legislatively. So it's happening here. We're just not getting told this about is it. It's not
1: conspiracy crazy talk. We don't go there. okay? If we can't, like for instance, there's a whole group of people that are mad as hell at us because we won't endorse the idea that these were kill shots and uh, the jabs I'm talking about and they were engineered uh, for depopulation and eugenics. Okay, that's that's a whole theory and a lot of people subscribe to it. We don't go there.
2: Because Be- we say show us the data.
1: Yeah, show me the artifacts, show me, you can absolutely see where Klaus Schwab talks about the need for reduction in population, where Bill Gates talks about the need for reduction in population, but I haven't seen the artifacts in which Bill Gates says, we're going to engineer a bioweapon, mRNA-based jab in order to compromise fertility, by the way, they do compromise fertility in men and women, um, but and to kill, kill old side. people. And, yeah. to kill, and to kill old people because we want to reduce the stress on the social security system. I mean, you can weave all kinds of stories here, but Agenda 2030 is real. Okay? It is a real document. You can go find it. You can read it. And you can see that a lot of the stuff that you're objecting to, I suspect if you're since you're here, um, is
2: real. Okay, and and it's just to say, a gain of function and that this is a created virus is absolutely real. That document I- is clear. Um, um, yeah.
1: So one of the lovely things about being, I mean, there's some uh, serious downsides to be so close to D.C., not the least of which is the traffic, but you guys aren't immune to that either. Um, but uh, the culture of D.C. is deeply corrupted. I mean, people, people ask me, oh, don't you want to be involved in this administration or that administration or take this position? And I'm like, hell no. I don't want to live in D.C. I, I've been there, done that. I know what that culture is all about. It will rot your soul. Um, I absolutely want nothing to do with it. But uh, one of the good things about being there is we do hear an awful lot. We're surrounded by some of the top conservative leaders in the United States live in Rappahannock County. Basically, they're all expats from D.C. and Northern Virginia um, on their farms. And uh, so we get brought into those circles when we get to hear stuff, which is kind of nice.
2: Yeah. And, and just to say it, talking about the FOIA documents, how we know it is gain-of-function research is because of Tom Finton and Judicial Watch. That's exactly and where I was going. He is amazing. And we all need to support that organization. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, so we're members of the Council for National Policy. We'll be there in a couple of weeks. Um, which Tom is basically running currently. No,
2: well he's not running, but he's but a big part of, yeah. yeah.
1: Um, so, uh, so that's all real. The Great Reset is not a fabricated conspiracy theory. You can buy Klaus Schwab's book. You can buy his book, a uh, Great Narrative, that kind of carries that on further. And just to, I hope, I'm not saying things you all already know. Um, Klaus Schwab was not the guy that actually first announced the Great Reset. Um, it was the current monarch of Great Britain. Kay? He was the one that really first came out with the whole logic of the Great Reset. He is totally in with the World Economic Forum. I don't know what's going to happen to Great Britain now. One of the things that he wanted, when I was, I was on um, uh, a great, uh, GB News the other day with uh, Neil Oliver for the Coronation Day. Um he's asking for the fealty of, of the British public. Um, that was
2: taken out finally in the end. Yeah, but
1: So we're I don't I don't really know who's behind all this. We've we've got various theories. Is it
2: the CIA, is it the DOD, is it the WEF, is it Pharma weaponizing all of the above.
1: Is it the Bank of International Settlements and all the world banks? I mean, it's the. Is it the creature from Jekyll Island? It's, it's but, it's but
2: to go back. But to go <laughs> oh, back, you're left, Robert. you got
1: to read the book. But um, but, <laughs> but wait, but wait.
2: So so one of our little r- red pilled stories was in um, 2014. There was a significant outbreak of Ebola, and we were in, involved in finding and bringing, helping to bring a vaccine. Now you know Ebola in that outbreak was not a respiratory virus which is what everybody was scared of that it had gone respiratory i I
1: once got a call from a buddy who just come out of a pentagon briefing as i was going to our my client new link who had the vaccine Mm -hmm. candidate from canada that eventually became the Merck vaccine he calls me up i pull off the side of the road pick the cell and he says robert you have got to get this thing spun up because i've just come out of a secret meeting in the pentagon and we have a scenario: if this thing goes aerosol, we are going to have a billion dead in the United States. I right. mean In the world, a right. billion dead in the world. So,
2: so, so for us, when there's a highly lethal respiratory virus, which hasn't come along probably in our lifetimes, really, a vaccine. This is, this
1: was not. Uh, a highly we have lethal always thought virus. that
2: a vaccine would be an option, but the problem is, is you cannot make a vaccine in time. Okay, you just can't. You cannot and make so a safe and effective vaccine. So let vaccine me let me time. go through. So in Ebola. Um, There was already, Health Canada had already made a vaccine and they actually had clinical stockpiles and so it was just a question of getting the clinical trials run, reducing the dose, finding funding, which we helped with, but we came away going, you know, this is still going to take five years and this product is already developed. How could this ever help in a highly lethal situation? So when Zika came along, we completely changed our thinking and we thought, what we need to do is find repurposed drugs that can be against a respiratory virus. So in 2016, we started working on repurposed right. in drugs. that
1: case, it was a mosquito-borne
2: virus. It was a mosquito-borne virus, that's right. But um, but again, we had absolutely no, almost no interest from NIH, um, HHS. We had some interest for the DOD in trying to f- find something. We, again, voluntarily you know, wrote papers and and we were all in. I mean, we, we you know ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine were two of the drugs. But just to say it, over over COVID, what's been weaponized is those two drugs. But there's about 20 drugs that you can use in COVID. It's not just it's a multi drug therapy, and um, and it works. So so we were all in. And then we were further red pilled against childhood vaccines when Robert was asked to be an expert witness for a large. Um, Whistleblower. Court case that we can't talk about, but when he saw the data, he was like, Oh my gosh. And so that's was that ended in twenty nineteen and then COVID hit and we went all in on repurposed drugs and we could not believe we could not understand the government. We we still we still can't understand who the puppet master is, who so
1: so we said because I like working with the DoD more than HHS, because DoD personnel historically, I mean everybody's got their biases about how wicked the DOD is. Um, But but the truth
2: is, the DOD bio-threat was run by Fauci.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Um, So my experience with working with the DOD is they tend to be not very interested in high-profile academic publications and getting the Nobel Prize um, and building their careers. They're interested in deploying stuff that works.
2: For the warfighters.
1: Okay. And so I really I've always preferred to work with DOD because they're very results oriented. Frankly, now I'm getting attacked all the time because I have this history of working with the DOD. But that's why I do it and why I did it in the past. Now they don't want to talk to me because I've kind of outed them and we've talked about all these problems. But um, the uh, the logic of repurposing drugs um, has absolutely no commercial interest. They, that that, that was our takeaway from Zika. We created a company, um, tried to get it capitalized. We had multiple patents filed for repurposed drugs for use for Zika. We had fantastic data and we could get no funding. There is no interest in commercial development of existing off-patent drugs. All this gibber jabber about, oh, we're doing this all for humanity and venture philanthropy and all that, they don't care. They, it's absolutely true that they want stuff that they can patent and they can make a mountain of money on. And,
2: and that includes that, that includes the NIAID researchers who, if they have a patent under the Bayh-Dole Act, which was passed in 1980, the inventors get about 40% of the profit. So all of the government employees who are on a patent for Moderna or Pfizer, you know, They're probably almost billionaires. It
1: it, it used to be that the government employees were prohibited from this. So the the logic was to incentivize academics and academic institutions like the University of California, which has a huge Alameda-based patent office, to go ahead and pursue intellectual property. Because all this IP was being generated within the universities, and it wasn't going anywhere because nobody cared because they couldn't make money off of it. And they put the Bayh-Dole Act in place, and they put these incentives so that the dean of uh, UC San Diego, or, or you know, this investigator or that department chair, gets to make a ton of money, on patent royalty revenue if something gets invented within that um, organization or in within one of their laboratories. What this has done is it's transformed academia into basically an arm of the pharmaceutical industry, and it's and it's motivated all of these investigators to be basically chasing patents and chasing revenue associated with working with pharma. That's part of why you. a lot of us have been perplexed. What happened to academe through this last three years through the COVID crisis? How do they all become so corrupted? It's been going on for a long time. It's just that it's now been revealed, okay? And, and it didn't used to extend to the gubbies, but now the government workers have that same deal which is why Tony Fauci is sitting on a mountain of cash right now, not just making more in salary. He makes more in retirement, if you didn't know this. He makes more in retirement in his annual salary than the president makes for the active sitting president. Okay, It's stunning, and that doesn't include his royalty revenue. He's sitting on a mountain of cash, and by the way, they've hired him back as a consultant and given him six FTE, f- six full-time employees For as security. security and drivers. Okay? So he's driven all around DC in, in his nice bulletproof SUV at the expense of you guys. Um, uh, yeah. currently, you know, it's he's not a private party really. He's just another Govy that's just retired and then come back to double dip. So that's that's the world of D.C. And, and but there's
2: another there's another point to that, though, and that is it's a little off topic, and that is um, um, Agenda F. I, do any of you know about this, right? Uh, Schedule, Trump? F. Schedule F. F. Schedule F. So F. Uh, another
1: thing we talk about in the book, in yeah. the last third where we talk about what can so, we actually so do about So what
2: can things? we do about this? So um, we have an executive, I'm sorry, Senior what is it? Senior executive
1: service. Senior
2: executive service that cannot be fired in the federal government. so well, you may Presidents not, when, can't fire when, them. When you
1: hear Steve Bannon talking about the administrative state.
2: This is this group of employees, and they're large. It's a couple millions. Thousands
1: of people, they actually have their own flag. Yeah. Okay, the senior executive service has its own flag and its own badge.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: And they cannot be fired.
2: And this, this started historically with President McKinley, who was assassinated. um, He was
1: assassinated because somebody that worked on his campaign thought he was going to get an appointment because he worked on the campaign. But Kinley didn't give him an appointment, and so the guy shot him.
2: And so after that, the federal government said, we need protection, so if the president and the vice president all get killed at the same time, that there's continuity in government. So we'll make a class of employees that can't be fired, so that they'll give continuity. Well, what's happened over time is basically... They can do whatever they want. They can interpret laws however they want. They run
1: the government. They run the government. Congress does not run the government. The president does not run the government. The senior executive service runs the government.
2: Yeah, so so Trump tried to fire a lot of people, and he couldn't. Pissed him
1: off. It takes two years to fire a federal employee of constant dogged fighting in the courts.
2: Right. So so he, he came up with Schedule F, which would reclass all these federal employees as at-will pu- employees, which anybody who works is probably an at-will employee. And um, it was one of his last acts, and the press in D.C. went wild about it, how it was going to –
1: And it took him months and months and months to fight off and get it through the court.
2: Get it through the courts. If and then it was it the Finally first got
1: approved it
2: was the first just
1: before the election.
2: Right. And then he lost. And then it was the first thing that Biden got rid of as soon as he was um, –
1: Literally, the first thing Biden did was he rescinded Schedule F.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: So one of the things we absolutely have to fight for is not just, as far as I'm concerned, the top priority right now is we have to make it illegal for the government to deploy psychological operations on civilians. Um, Here's, But another one we've got to do, is we have to find some way, whether Mr. Trump is in the office, or Mr. DeSantis, DeSantis or whomever, maybe Bobby, who knows. Um, But uh, we have got to find a way to break the back of the administrative state, and we have got to break the back of this um, new censorship industrial complex. And I don't know quite how we're going to do it, but I know we absolutely have to do it. This this censorship industrial complex is a monster, and here's the thing: in the technology that's been developed, where y- you ever notice in you know in marketing, this is really an extension of marketing into warfare. Okay, when they sell you hamburgers, they have and soap suds and all those things. They're really sophisticated about how they do it. They know all kinds of subliminal messaging and other technologies, color use of color, use of sex, all kinds of things, repetitive.
2: Repetitive is really important.
1: Repetitive insertion of keywords into advertising and into the press and all kinds of things. It's amazing how suggestible you are. Here's a fun fact. 25% of people, this has been known for decades, 25% of people in any one population is highly resistant to hypnosis and to psyops. About 25%, yay. Probably a large fraction of you, since you're here, are in that 25%. Okay, The other 75% are very susceptible. They can be hypnotized. They can be influenced to act in whatever way somebody wants to. The other day I was on with Neil Oliver. As I mentioned, we were it's the coronation day when we were talking about this. And um, in Great Britain, they actually have a censorship board, just to let you know. It'll come here soon enough. They have a censorship board, and I can tell you Great Britain News is scared silly of that censorship board. I was told that I could not talk about anything about the vaccines when I went on GB News the other day with Neil Oliver. That wasn't the case a year ago, okay? And so we had to kind of talk around it and use euphemisms like J.P. Sears does. Um, but uh, no, J.P. Sears is brilliant. J.P. Sears is a brilliant fifth-generation warrior. Okay? Comedy and and music and art are incredible fifth generation war tools. They're incredible propaganda tools that can be used against you or we can use them against them. Okay? And this has long been known. What JP does is brilliant in terms of psyops. But I made the point with Neil because, of course, in Britain, they have the nudge units and they have the 77th Brigade, which has been deployed on their citizens. And, And the... In, in GB News and any of these news stations, um, they are forced to have someone who represents the other side. They cannot broadcast unless they have some semblance of balance where there's somebody that's standing on the other side of an issue advocating for that. So the person on the other side was making the case that well, in a democracy in the UK, basically they have an election every four years and the people cede their authority to the winning party, who is able to act really in an autocratic fashion for the next four years. The people cede their authority to this winning political party that can basically do whatever it wants to do for the next four years, and then there's another election. That's the logic that's promoted in in the UK, okay? So four year period, no accountability, they can do whatever they wanna do. My point is, if during that four years, they're deploying modern psyops, Psychological warfare technology against the population so that the population is constantly bombarded with corrected information, now it's gonna be AI filtered information, that controls everything that you see, feel, think, believe, your emotions, okay, that's what's in play right now. If you're interacting in social media, you are highly, you're in a highly controlled environment. And everything that you think and believe and feel is being manipulated actively in real time. And if a government is allowed to do that, the concept of sovereignty, of personal agency, that you have as an independent being, the ability to make an objective decision about right and wrong or what you want in your government, the policies that you want, you no longer have that sovereignty. Everything that you are thinking is being manipulated using the most cutting-edge psychological manipulation. Particularly that
2: 75% that's susceptible. And that's, you know, when we talk about uh, the younger generation, they are just being bombarded with this messaging all the time, and and they have a hard time filtering.
1: Every social media channel is basically an intelligence operation.
2: And and combine that with um, the GARM agreement, which I think has to be mentioned with this, which um, is the... um, An agreement for responsible media. Let's give an example.
1: Uh, Conservative media. Now, you would think that Mercedes-Benz and Porsche would want to sell cars to conservatives. Okay? You would think that Steve Bannon would be inundated with advertisements and the blaze media. And why do you
2: think Steve Bannon has to advertise T-shirts, hats, and water? And pillows. And pillows. Okay. It's not because he doesn't want to sell Mercedes-Benz. Okay? He is... Mercedes Benz is literally
1: Blocked. prohibited
2: from advertising on conservative sites. Okay? It started yeah, if with an you didn't porn. know
1: that, you've got to understand it started, the ecosystem. It started
2: with an agreement that um, advertisers through Google and this huge consortium of, of advertising companies all agreed they wouldn't allow advertising on porn sites. And then it was violence. And then it moved into election misinformation, and now it's vaccine moved information. In, vaccine information. And now it's basically
1: anything conservative.
2: Anything conservative. And, and um, they cannot literally, if you advertise on a bad site, you can no longer allowed to use AdSense and these um, algorithmic advertisers.
1: And if you are an executive at a major U.S. corporation and you donate to conservative causes, that's tracked. That's all disclosed. Okay. And
2: then your ESG scores go down. When we talk about when the your governance. ESGs,
1: when your ESG score goes down, you cannot get capital.
2: You pay higher rates. You're less able to get capital. So okay. this,
1: this is integrated at a level. If you're not aware of this, this has been being built for decades and now. And
2: clearly this is what makes us an- anti-government. Is <laughs> talking yeah. about this stuff. Uh, this, yeah, this <laughs> is why I'm,
1: I'm uh, defined as anti-government by the Anti-Defamation League, uh, which seems to be mostly about defaming. Um, But that's that is what we're up against is an ecosystem in which all advertising dollars are strategically controlled through a blanket agreement that's run through Google, which controls the vast bulk of advertising right now. And when you see that all the media, including Fox News, which is now the second largest owner of Fox News, is BlackRock. okay, it's no surprise that Tucker's out. And um, so that's that's the ecosystem we're dealing with right now is the government feels that it is morally obligated in order to protect democracy to bypass the First Amendment. And there is nothing that anyone will do about it. I mean, I, I keep saying, what is the remedy when from the lowest level government official, you know, from your school boards all the way up to the POTUS... There is tacit agreement that we absolutely must bypass the First Amendment. We must control speech
2: in order to protect democracy. It's not just free speech, it's a free press.
1: Okay, that's where we're at. And the only remedy that I know of is impeachment. And there's no way that we're going to get an impeachment case brought through. I mean, we've got all this evidence about Hunter Biden and all of the corruption and all that that's coming out. Do you think there's going to be an impeachment? Hell no. Okay? There's, there's no way that can happen in D.C. There's another point. People ask me, oh, is there going to be accountability for what's happened over the last three years? Um, can you imagine a world in which the United States suddenly says, oh, you caught me. We actually funded the development of that virus that has exterminated a, you know, a significant fraction of the world's population and decimated economies. Can, can you imagine what would happen if they owned up to what they've done? Which the documents from Judicial Watch and everybody else, so many sources now demonstrate. You know, for me, one of the shocking things was coming to grips with we not, might not be the good guys, okay? Um, and can you imagine what would happen? It would destroy the United States. It well, would destroy it politically, uh, but, but it would destroy it, it economically. We're not
2: the only bad guys. I mean, that's the truth of it, is we have the CCP, we have Russia, we have the UK. I mean, governments throughout the world now believe that they need to control the citizenship and basically treat them like an economic unit. And, um, so when and we need to get back to personal sovereignty. And, and this, it's really important.
1: And yeah. when when we so podcast after podcast, when people are talking about the book, they're like, well, "What's this part about the better future coming?" Right. Um, and I insisted that we put that line in because the lies my government told me was such a downer. Uh, it was came <laughs> it came <a laughs> it was it was developed by Skyhorse Publishing. Uh, they thought that was the fantastic name that would make it a huge bestseller. By the way, it's not that much of a bestseller. But is it, it's done or well? D- it's doing okay, but yeah. it's not like Bobby's book. Um, but I'm not Bobby Kennedy, and neither she. Um, but uh, um, I really wanted to end on a positive note. But yes, yeah, so and the positive note was about what can we do about it. Right,
2: and I think the first thing is the first thing we can do about it in our own lives is community. It's our Absolutely. families. Absolutely. Our families. Yeah, yeah. Intentional
1: yeah. communities, and one of the things you may recall uh, when I when I did this little podcast with this guy Rogan. Um, that kind of did break the internet and caused Google to lose its bladder control. Um, <laughs> the, the, I, s- I s- talked about the theories of this friend of mine from Belgium named Matthias Desmond. And I used the term mass formation psychosis. Now the, the psychology committee hit us on that, even though that's an old term. And so we've dropped the psychosis, mass formation. But it's basically around the preconditions that enabled this hypnosis or control or thought control of people. Um, And one of the things uh, that we've observed in this bizarre world that we've been traveling for the last three years is communities of faith, whatever religion, have been the most resistant to these psyops. Like, for instance, what's the, the town up north that has that church that got hammered so bad that we've spoken Santa at? Santa Clara. Santa Clara, yeah. yeah. I mean, did, do you know the story? Calvary of Chapel. That? Calvary yeah. Chapel. Um, they, they, th- the stuff that was done, I mean, the city council called their lien holder and said they're going to have to default on their loan
2: because they were gonna get a six million dollar fine.
1: And from the so, city.
2: Th- and so the, the bank defaulted based on that phone call. They, they pulled back the loan. I mean, this is how dirty it is. And, but what they did was is they hung together as a community.
1: And, and they reached out to other members of the Cavalry Chapel world, which basically all pulled their money and bought the damn thing. Um, and
2: yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: But amazing story. We, when we went and spoke there with Steve Kirsch, uh, we heard people coming up to us talking about how, you know, older people, disabled people that weren't wearing masks that were being dragged out of public spaces in that county um, because they weren't wearing masks. So if we now know, just, I um, know this is uh, gonna shock you, masks don't work, okay? <laughs> the data are in, that was a lie. Um, And it's hard to figure out why they propagated that lie. The only explanation that I've heard, and it's actually in the literature by one of the people that was influencing those decisions, is that it really was about demonstration of fealty. It was a way to identify the people that are compliant. I argue that a lot of this policy of the jabs in the military and the absolute unwillingness to allow... Um, religious exemptions was about weeding out the people that weren't going to comply with the things that they are telling them to do. It's been a compliance test.
2: Yeah, and another compliance test is um, we get a lot of um, science conferences, a lot of biodefense conferences, invites, you know, come to this, you know, event in D.C., blah, 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 you know, all this junk mail we get. And, and you read these invitations and they all, and to this day they say, You need to prove that you're vaccinated before you can go to this scientific event you know this is a way it's tribalism it's a way of weeding out people from being able to get the latest data being able to network you know they are trying to harm and um ostracize yes yeah yeah
1: so um getting back to sticking together the better times ahead
2: yeah
1: um People ask, what is an intentional community? Because this is a plan that this is not conspiracy thinking. I mean, Huxley talked about this. There's a great video. Brave New World. Yeah, of Huxley in the early 70s. No, it was
2: 1958. With Mike Wallace early 60 yeah the minutes, Mike Wallace that's the Mike Wallace minutes, interview
1: yeah. okay in which he's talking about these things like 25 percent of the population can't be hypnotized and that's and that the fact that 25 percent of the population can be readily hypnotized look at this one right here um, uh, and um, uh, that that's a good thing because governments need to be able to control people the plans that have been put in place that we have now seen sprung on us have been baked over decades now and there is no way that we're going to get out of this in the next two years. As far as I'm concerned, what we're fighting for is our children's future. Yeah. Um, and, it's, and it's whether or not we want our children to live as indentured servants or do we want them to live in a free world in which they have personal agency, they can make their own decisions, make their own mistakes, and have to live with them. Is that the world? Or do we want to live in a command economy that is controlled centrally by a group of corporate oligarchs, um, out of Europe. That—that That is, by the way, European Union uh, leadership is not elected, okay? That's the world they want us to live under. When we went to the European Parliament, just off on that tangent, one of the things that last was fascinating... Week, last week, w- last week. we testified in the European Parliament on the invitation of about half a dozen members of the EP who were the dissenters, many of which were representing former uh, Soviet Union states, like Romania, okay? Croatia. Those, those folks... Um, have lived under communism they've lived under marxism they know what it's about and, and they believe
2: it's coming back
1: they're personally they're they're pretty far into hell no okay and um they they see it what's happening but one of the things we learned is those members of the ep they don't do anything it's even worse than it is here they don't work it's their their aides do all the voting for them one of the things that's happened in government all over the world in these various administrative states is during COVID, they've all been working from home. They the, the FDA is a ghost land.
2: They only it, just brought half the employees back to the FDA. You go to the parking lot, it's empty.
1: Okay, the, the reason why, so Rochelle Walensky was actually not down in Atlanta working at the CDC. She was up at her home in wherever it was, Connecticut where she had that studio that she was giving all those uh, lovely little presentations to all of us um, that we all enjoyed so much. Uh, but she wasn't actually administering. She wasn't actually working there. A lot of the government has had a three-year vacation. And the same is true in the European but Parliament. Yeah, so. This, this, this we're, we're sitting in a situation in which some small cluster of individuals that are, this is not conspiracy. That are are running largely very large corporations or the representatives of very large corporations are functionally um, controlling but, most of the, but, wa- but most just, much of the western just, world. But
2: I want to change this topic just a bit. Okay, getting back to the better future. So right now, we have I believe it's 11 million children are being homeschooled. It's about 8 percent of the population in the United States. Okay, this is a big deal. Our
1: kids were homeschooled. Yeah,
2: but so so homeschooling. It's teaching children how to use the internet, not allowing them to use it all the time, not allowing them to have cell phones at an early age. It's getting outdoors. I mean, there's a lot of things we can do. We have to form our own communities, and we have to kind of live outside of the government because we don't have any choice.
1: We we have to build communities that can persist through the storm that is about to hit us. Yes, yes. Um, And... Uh, I'm not sure. You, people ask, what is an intentional community? A monastery is an intentional community. A nunnery is an intentional the community. The Amish communities. The Amish attend- are intentional communities. Traditional
2: religions of faith are intentional communities. We have, we have internet
1: Lots groups. of examples of intentional communities. You can form them around love of wineries, whatever the thing is. I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of ways to build intentional communities and to exist within those and protect each other. David Martin has done a ton of thinking. David lives just a few miles from us in Virginia about this and about the economics of this. We have some... And if you're going to build intentional communities and think about this, it is a hard problem because we're basically... How do you imagine a world that's never existed? Like, for instance, I was down in, in Mexico City, which is an amazing place. It's like L.A. and Mexico City have flip-flopped. I, when I grew up, Mexico City was... X-hole, and LA was where where all the hip and cool people are. Now all the hip and cool people are down in Mexico City, and LA is an armpit. Uh, What an amazing turnaround. So we're down there talking to some folks from Latin America and um, talking about intentional communities and all the problems that you have to solve in order to build an intentional community, because you have to, you cannot exist on barter beyond a certain limit which the Amish recognize, which is why those communities fissure at, what is it?
2: 40, 40, 40, families. 40 families.
1: Okay, um, So you can't exist straight on barter, especially in a space of modern technology.
2: And now we're going to be going to a digital currency within Central a Bank few years. Currency, yeah, digital currency,
1: which is totally going to tie into the social credit system and their ability to control you, just like we saw the pre-warning with um, what happened to Canadian truckers when Trudeau locked bank accounts okay and basically froze people's access to funds i have a bunch of people that are up in friends up in toronto that is they are living in a totalitarian environment it, it comes out in all kinds of different ways they're gone new zealand is gone canada was won without firing a shot through infiltration from world economic forum trained young leaders that is the honest truth Okay. And that country, uh, you know, I grew up Canadians, eh? You know, and, and sensible we sensible people. Very sensible people. They are gone. And they're busy looking for an escape route. To I mean, Florida, this, is, most this is this <laughs> is a flip flop. Remember where, where all the war, the liberal protesters wanted to move to Canada, remember during the Anti-war war and all war. that? Vietnam. It's all flip flopped, okay? They now all want to come down here to the land of the free. Um, because it's gone. New Zealand is gone. Apparently, Australia had a major election turnover because people were so pissed off about the egregious policies that were deployed there about COVID over the last three years. But what we're in a situation in which we're going to have to somehow find some way to tunnel through the next three years, six, I'm sorry, next few years, protect our children, protect our own liberties, our own ability to exist. And there are some fundamental problems. And one of them is... Tokens, and I'm not here to pitch Bitcoin, but Bitcoin is in in cyber currency. Th- you know, for those of you that are n- probably a lot of you folks are familiar with the cyber currency world, but for me, it's been a learning experience over the last three years to get immersed in that. Um,
2: Which we don't own any, by the way.
1: So. Yeah, there's there's two. We're we're precious metals people, um, but there's two. There's there's kind of like two main branches here one is decentralized cybercurrency and one is centralized centralized is what they're going to enforce on us it's absolutely in the works they're testing it right now through the fed um the bank of international settlements wants it and centralized digital currency means that they can tra- they can track every single transaction yeah. you do yeah so no more of this um, casual farm labor, or get the guy down the street to put up your drywall, or whatever. No more, you know. Every single thing that you buy, that pizza box, is going to be able to be identified
2: with a QR code. Hey, Rob, we've got just a minute left. We're actually out. So, do you have any conclusions before we uh, wrap it? <laughs> well, I'm just seeing. I'm seeing Lynn over here. Yeah,
1: she's waving at us. Okay, <laughs> <good>. <laughs> yeah. So, so conclusions. Number one, thanks. Number two, support the Unity Project. Um, The key, three key words, okay, keep these words in your heart, please. Integrity, dignity, and community. That's what we've lost, and that's what we gotta strive for. We have to commit ourselves to integrity. Um, Anybody here know who Ed Dowd is, okay? I kind of brought Ed Dowd onto the stage. I met him in Maui a couple of years ago, and he presented to me this document that he had come up with together with a guy named Tom that is basically the building inspector for all of Maui. And they came up with this document. They presented it to Jill and I on my birthday, and they said, this is the Malone Doctrine. And we're like, why did you call it the Malone Doctrine? We didn't have anything to do and they, they said, well, we've listened to everything you've ever said and wrote. And I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. And <laughs> this is what's in between the lines of everything that you've written. And what it's all about is integrity. You can find it on our website for maloneinstitute.org. And it's about rebuilding integrity and a set of rules for organizations with integrity. And basically what Ed posits is a world in which we build these intentional communities and we only transact with others, other corporations, etc., that make a fundamental commitment to integrity. And that includes things like data transparency, all kinds of things having to do with openness and transparency in everything that you're doing. Um, and I'm with Ed. I think that is one of the key things. The dignity part comes um, from an... Time that we spent with what was his name, Monaghan? Uh the uh, the guy who is the um, wrote the uh, bibli- the um, history of the cardinal. Um, oh, Cardinal
2: T- Turkson? You don't mean no, cardinal. not
1: Cardinal. No, that's Arch. Uh, the Archbishop Dragano. Dr- Dr- he he wrote Dragano's biography. Right. And he makes the point that that one of the fundamental precepts of the church is respect for human dignity. Traditionally, the Catholic church, you know, the Catholic church today is a different thing. But, um, so I argue integrity, respect for human dignity, meaning I don't care if you collect garbage or you're the president of the United States, you need to be treated with dignity and respect. Um, and community is that comes from Matthias Desmond's teaching. Community is the thing that broke down, that enabled all of this to happen, that enabled the mass psychosis to happen, that enabled this hypnosis, that it enabled the psyops deployed. And that gets to the point of communities of faith are highly resistant to this. Community is the way we get through this. We have to form community. We have to embed our children in community.
2: And Um, have strong relationships. And we're done. They're were, they were hovering.
1: And and so with that, thanks for letting me ramble. I hope that was helpful.